0: Book Three, Chapter One of Camilla. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Camilla, or A Picture of Youth by Fanny Burney. Book Three, Chapter One A Few Kind Offices. With deep concern, Edgar revolved in his mind the suggestions of Dr. Marchmont, and meditation, far from diminishing, added importance to the arguments of his friend. To obtain the hand of an object he so highly admired, though but lately his sole wish, appeared now an uncertain blessing, a suspicious good, since the possession of her heart was no longer to be considered as its inseparable appendage. His very security of the approbation of Mr. and Mrs. Tyrold became a source of solicitude, and secret from them, from her, and from all, he determined to guard his views, till he could find some opportunity of investigating her own unbiased sentiments. Such were his ruminations when, on re-entering the park, he perceived her wandering alone amidst the trees. Her figure looked so interesting her air so serious, her solitude so attractive, that every maxim of tardy prudence, every caution of timid foresight, would instantly have given way to the quick feelings of generous impulse, had he not been restrained by his promise to Dr. Marchmont. He dismounted, and giving his horse to his groom, retraced her footsteps. Camilla, almost without her own knowledge, had strolled towards the gate whence she concluded Edgar to have ridden from the park, and, almost without consciousness, had continued sauntering in its vicinity. Yet she no sooner descried him than, struck with a species of self-accusation for this appearance of awaiting him, she crossed over to the nearest path towards the house, and for the first time was aware of the approach of Edgar without hastening to meet him. He slackened his pace to quiet his spirits, and restore his manner to its customary serenity, before he permitted himself to overtake her. "'Can you,' he then cried, "'forgive me when you hear I have been fulfilling my own appointment, and have postponed my promised investigation?' "'Rather say,' she gently answered, could i have forgiven you if you had shown me you thought my impatience too ungovernable for any delay to find her thus willing to oblige him was a new delight and he expressed his acknowledgments in terms the most flattering An unusual seriousness made her hear him almost without reply, yet peace and harmony revisited her mind, and, in listening to his valued praise, she forgot her late alarm and her own sensations, and, without extending a thought beyond the present instant, again felt tranquil and happy, while to Edgar she appeared so completely all that was adorable that he could only remember to repent his engagement with Dr. Marchmont." Her secret opinion that he was dissatisfied with his lot gave a softness to her accents that enchanted him, while the high esteem for his character, which mingled with her pity, joined to a lowered sense of her own from a newborn terror lest that pity were too tender, spread a charm wholly new over her native fire and vivacity. In a few minutes they were overtaken by Mandelbert's gardener, who was bringing from Beech Park a basket of flowers for his master. They were selected from curious hothouse plants, and Camilla stopped to admire their beauty and fragrance. Edgar presented her the basket, whence she simply took a sprig of myrtle and geranium, conceiving the present to be designed for Indiana. "'If you are fond of geraniums,' said he, "'there is an almost endless variety in my greenhouse, and I will bring you to-morrow some specimens.' She thanked him, and while he gave orders to the gardener, Miss Margland and Indiana advanced from the house. Miss Margland had seen them from her window, where in vain deliberation she had been considering what step to take. But upon beholding them together, she thought deliberation and patience were hopeless and determined by a decisive stroke to break in its bud the connection she supposed forming or throw upon Camilla all censure if she failed as the sole means she could devise to exculpate her own sagacity from impeachment. She called upon Indiana, therefore, to accompany her into the park, exclaiming in an angry tone, Miss Lindenmare, I will shew you the true cause why Mr. Mandelbert does not declare himself. Your cousin, Miss Camilla, is wheedling him away from you." Indiana, whose belief in almost whatever was said was undisturbed by any species of reflection, felt filled with resentment, and a sense of injury, and readily following, said, "'I was sure there was something more in it than I saw, because Mr. Melmond behaved so differently. But I don't take it very kind of my cousin. I can tell her.' They then hurried into the park, but, as they came without any plan— They were no sooner within a few yards of the meeting than they stopped short, at a loss what to say or do. Edgar, vexed at their interruption, continued talking to the gardener to avoid joining them, but seeing Camilla, who less than ever wished for their communications, walk instantly another way, he thought it would be improper to pursue her, and only bowing to Miss Margland and Indiana went into the house. "'This is worse than ever,' cried Miss Margland to stalk off without speaking, or even offering you any of his flowers, which, I dare say, are only to be put into the parlour flower-pots for the whole house. "'I'm sure I'm very glad of it,' said Indiana, "'for I hate flowers, but I'm sure Mr. Melmont would not have done so, nor Colonel Andover, nor Mr. Macdersey more than all.' "'No, nor anybody else, my dear, that had common sense, and their eyes open.' nor mr mandlebell neither if it were not for miss camilla however we'll let her know we see what she's about and let sir hugh know too for as to the colonels and the ensigns and that young oxford student they won't at all do officers are commonly worth nothing and scholars you may take my word for it my dear are the dullest men in the world besides one would not give such a fine fortune as mr Mandelbert's without making a little struggle for it you don't know how many pretty things you may do with it. So let us chew her we don't want for spirit, and speak to her at once." These words, reviving in the mind of Indiana her wedding-clothes, the train of servants, and the new equipage, gave fresh pique to her provocation. But, finding some difficulty to overtake the fleet Camilla, whose pace kept measure with her wish to avoid them, she called after her, to desire she would not walk so fast. Camilla reluctantly loitered, but, without stopping or turning to meet them, that she might still regale herself with the perfume of the geranium presented to her by Edgar. "'You're in great haste, ma'am,' said Miss Margland, "'which I own, I did not observe, to be the case just now.' Camilla, in much surprise, asked what she meant. "'My meaning is pretty plain, I believe, to anybody that chose to understand it. However, though Miss Lynmere scorns to be her own champion, I cannot, as a friend, be quite so passive, nor help hinting to you how little you would like such proceeding to yourself from any other person.' "'What proceeding?' cried Camilla, blushing from a dawning comprehension of the subject, though resenting the manner of the complaint. Nay, only ask yourself, man, only ask yourself, Miss Camilla, how you should like to be so supplanted if such an establishment were forming for yourself, and everything were fixed and everybody else refused, and nobody to hinder it's all taking place but a near relation of your own who ought to be the first to help it forward. I should like to know, I say, Miss Camilla, how you would feel if it were your own case. Astonished and indignant at so sudden and violent an assault, Camilla stood suspended, whether to deign any vindication or to walk silently away, yet its implications involuntarily filled her with a thousand other and less offending emotions than those of anger, and a general confusion crimsoned her cheeks. "'You cannot but be sensible, ma'am.' resumed miss margland for sense is not what you want that you have seduced mr Mandelbert from your cousin you cannot but see he takes hardly the smallest notice of her from the pains you are at to make him admire nobody but yourself the spirit of camilla now rose high to her aid at a charge thus impertinent and unjust "'Miss Margland,' she cried, "'you shock and amaze me. I am at a loss for any motive to so cruel an accusation. But you, I hope at least my dear Indiana, are convinced how much it injures me!' She would then have taken the hand of Indiana, but disdainfully drawing it back. "'I shan't break my heart about it, I assure you,' she cried. "'You are vastly welcome to him for me. I hope I am not quite so odious, but I may find other people in the world besides Mr. Mandlebert.' "'Oh, as to that,' said Miss Margland, "'I am sure you only have to look in order to choose. "'But since this affair has been settled by your uncle, "'I can't say I think it very grateful in any person "'to try to overset his particular wishes. "'Poor old gentleman! I'm sure I pity him. "'It will go hard enough with him when he comes to hear it. "'Such a requital! And from his own niece!' "'This was an attack the most offensive that Camilla could receive.' nothing could so nearly touch her as an idea of ingratitude to her uncle and resting upon that the whole tide of those feelings which were in fact divided and subdivided into many crossing channels she broke forth with great eagerness into exclaiming miss margland this is quite barbarous "'You know, and you, Indiana, cannot but know. "'I would not give my uncle the smallest pain "'to be mistress of a thousand universes.' "'Why, then,' said Miss Margland, "'should you break up a scheme "'which he has so much set his heart upon? "'Why are you always winning over Mr. Mandelbert to yourself "'by all that flattery? "'Why are you always consulting him, "'always obliging him, "'always of his opinion?' always ready to take his advice?" "'Miss Margland,' replied Camilla, with the extremest agitation, "'this is so unexpected, so undeserved an interpretation. My consultation or my acquiescence have been merely from respect, no other thought, no other motive. Good God, what is it you imagine? What guilt would you impute to me?' "'Oh, dear!' cried Indiana, pray don't suppose it signifies. If you like to make compliments in that matter to gentlemen pray, do it. I hope I shall always hold myself above it. I think it's their place to make compliments to me." A resentful answer was rising to the tongue of Camilla, when she perceived her two little sprigs, which in her recent disorder she had dropped, were demolishing under the feet of Indiana who, with apparent unmeaningness but internal suspicion of their giver, had trampled upon them both. Hastily stooping, she picked them up, and with evident vexation, was blowing from them the dust and dirt, when Indiana scoffingly said, "'I wonder where you got that geranium?' "'I don't wonder at all,' said Miss Margland. "'for Sir Hugh has none of that species, so one may easily guess.' Camilla felt herself blush, and, letting the flowers fall, turned to Indiana, and said, "'Cousin, if on my account it is possible you can suffer the smallest uneasiness, tell me but what I shall do. You shall dictate to me. You shall command me.' Indiana disclaimed all interest in her behaviour, but Miss Margland cried, "'What can you do, ma'am, is this, and nothing can be easier nor fairer.' leave off paying all that court to mr Mandelbert of asking his advice and follow your own whether he likes it or not and go to see mrs Arlbery and mrs everybody else when you have a mind without waiting for permission or troubling yourself about what he thinks of it camilla now trembled in every joint and with difficulty restrained from tears while timidly she said and do you dear indiana demand of me this conduct and will it at least satisfy you me oh dear no i demand nothing i assure you the whole matter is quite indifferent to me and you may ask his leave for everything in the world if you choose it there are people enough ready to take my part i hope if you set him against me ever so much indeed indeed indiana said camilla overpowered with conflicting sensations this is using me very unkindly and, without waiting to hear another word, she hurried into the house and flew to hide herself in her own room. This was the first bitter moment she had ever known. Peace, gay though uniform, had been the constant inmate of her breast, enjoyed without thought possessed without struggle not the subdued gift of accommodating philosophy but the inborn and genial produce of youthful felicity's best alignment the energy of own animal spirits she had indeed for some time past thought edgar of too refined and too susceptible a character for the unthinking and undistinguishing indiana and for the last day or two her regret at his fate had strengthened itself into an averseness of his supposed destination, that made the idea of it painful and the subject repugnant to her. But she had never, till this very morning, distrusted the innoxiousness either of her pity or her regard, and, startled at the first surmise of danger, she had wished to fly even from herself rather than venture to investigate feelings so unwelcome yet still and invariably she had concluded edgar the future husband of indiana to hear there were any doubts of the intended marriage filled her with emotions indefinable to hear herself named as the cause of those doubts was alarming both to her integrity and her delicacy she felt the extremest anger at the unprovoked and unwarrantable harshness of miss margland and a resentment nearly equal at the determined petulance and unjustifiable aspersions of indiana satisfied of the innocence of her intentions she knew not what alteration she could make in her behavior and after various plans concluded that to make none would best manifest her freedom from self-reproach at the summons therefore to dinner she was the first to appear eager to shew herself unmoved by the injustice of her accusers and desirous to convince them she was fearless of examination yet too much discomposed to talk in her usual manner she seized upon a book till the party was seated answering then to the call of her uncle with as easy an air as she could assume she took her accustomed place by his side and began, for mere employment, filling a plate from the dish that was nearest to her, which she gave to the footman without any direction whither to carry, or inquire if anybody chose to eat it. It was taken round the table, and though refused by all, she heaped up another plate, with the same diligence and speed, as if it had been accepted. Edgar, who had been accidentally detained, only now entered, apologizing for being so late engrossed by the pride of self-defence and the indignancy of unmerited unkindness the disturbed mind of camilla had not yet formed one separate reflection nor even admitted a distinct idea of edgar himself disengaged from the accusation in which he stood involved but he had now amply his turn the moment he appeared the deepest blushes covered her face, and an emotion so powerful beat in her breast that the immediate impulse of her impetuous feelings was to declare herself ill and run out of the room. With this view she rose, but, ashamed of her plan, seated herself the next moment, though she had first overturned her plate and a sauceboat in the vehemence of her haste. This accident rather recovered than disconcerted her by affording an unaffected occupation in begging pardon of Sir Hugh, who was the chief sufferer, changing the napkins and restoring the table to order. "'What on earth can be the matter with Miss Camilla, I can't guess!' exclaimed Miss Margland, though with an expression of spite that fully contradicted her difficulty of conjecture. "'I hope,' said Edgar, surprised, Miss Camilla is not ill.' I can't say I think my cousin looks very bad," said Indiana. Camilla, who was rubbing a part of her gown upon which nothing had fallen, affected to be too busy to hear them, which Sir Hugh, concluding her silent from shame, entreated her not to think of his cloths, which were worth no great manner not being his best by two or three suits. Her thoughts had not waited this injunction. Yet it was in vain she strove to behave as if nothing had happened. Her spirit instigated, but it would not support her. Her voice grew husky. She stammered, forgot as she went on what she designed to say when she began speaking, and frequently was forced to stop short, with a faint laugh at herself, and with a colour every moment increasing. And the very instant the cloth was removed she rose, unable to constrain herself any longer, and ran upstairs to her own room. There, all her efforts evaporated in tears. "'Cruel, cruel, Miss Margland!' she cried. "'Unjust, unkind Indiana! How have I merited this treatment? What can Edgar think of my disturbance? What can I devise to keep from his knowledge the barbarous accusation which has caused it?' In a few minutes she heard the step of Eugenia. Ashamed, she hastily wiped her eyes, and, before the door could be opened, was at the further end of the room, looking into one of her drawers. "'What is it that has vexed my dearest Camilla?' cried her kind sister. "'Something, I am sure, has grieved her?' "'I cannot guess what I have done with. I can nowhere find—' stammered Camilla, engaging in some apparent search, but too much confused to name anything of which she might probably be in want. Eugenia desired to assist her, but a servant came to the door, to tell them that the company was going to the summer-house, whither Sir Hugh begged they would follow. Camilla besought Eugenia to join them and make her excuses, but, fearing Miss Margland would attribute her absconding to guilt or cowardice, she bathed her eyes in cold water and overtook her sister at the stairs of the little building. In ascending them she heard Miss Margland say, "'I dare believe nothing's the matter but some whim,' for to be sure as to whims miss camilla has the most of any creature i ever saw and miss lynmere the least for you may imagine mr mandlebert i have pretty good opportunity to see all these young people in their real colours overset by this malignancy she was again flying to the refuge of her own room and the relief of tears when the conviction of such positive ill-will in miss margland for which she could assign no reason but her unjust and exclusive partiality to Indiana, checked her precipitancy. She feared she would construe to still another whim her non-appearance, and, resuming a little fresh strength from fresh resentment, turned back. But the various keen sensations she experienced as she entered the summer-house rendered this little action the most severe stretch of fortitude her short and happy life had yet called upon her to make. Sir Hugh addressed her some kind inquiries, which she hastily answered while she pretended to be busy in preparing to wind some sewing-silk upon cards. She could have chosen no employment less adapted to display the cool indifference she wished to manifest to Miss Margland and Indiana. She pulled the silk the wrong way, twisted, twirled, and entangled it continually, and while she talked volubly of what she was about as if it were the sole subject of her thoughts, her shaking hands shewed her whole frame disordered, and her high colour betrayed her strong internal emotion. Edgar looked at her with surprise and concern. What had dropped from Miss Margland of her whims he had heard with disdain, for, without suspecting her of malice to Camilla, he concluded her warped by her prejudice in favour of Indiana. Dr. Marchmont, however— had bid him judge by proof not appearance and he resolved therefore to investigate the cause of this disquiet before he acted upon his belief in its blamelessness having completely spoilt one skein she threw it aside and saying the weather's so fine i cannot bear to stay within left her silk her winders and her work-bag on the first chair and skipped down the stairs sir hugh declined walking but would let nobody remain with him edgar as if studying the clouds glided down first camilla perceiving him bent her head and began gathering some flowers he stood by her a moment in silence and then said to-morrow morning without fail i will wait upon mrs needham pray take your own time i am not in any haste you are very good and i am more obliged to you than i can express for suffering my officious interference with such patience." a rustling of silk made camilla now look up and she perceived miss marglin leaning half out of the window of the summer-house from earnestness to catch what she said angry thus to be watched and persuaded that both innocence and dignity called upon her to make no change in her open consideration for edgar she answered in a voice that strove to be more audible but that irresistibly trembled i beg you will impartially consult with your own judgment and decide as you think right edgar now became as little composed as herself the power with which she invested him possessed a charm to dissolve every hesitating doubt and when upon her raising her head he perceived the redness of her eyes and found that the perturbation which had perplexed him was mingled with some affliction the most tender anxiety filled his mind and though somewhat checked by the vicinity of miss margland his voice expressed the warmest solicitude as he said i know not how to thank you for this sweetness but i fear something disturbs you i fear you are not well or are not happy camilla again bent over the flowers but it was not to scent their fragrance she sought only a hiding-place for her eyes which were gushing with tears and though she wished to fly a thousand miles off, she had not courage to take a single step, nor force to trust her voice with the shortest reply. "'You will not speak, yet you do not deny that you have some uneasiness?' "'Could I give it but the smallest relief how fortunate I should think myself? And is it quite impossible? Do you forbid me to ask what it is?' "'Forbid me the indulgence even to suggest—' "'Ask nothing, suggest nothing, and think of it no more,' interrupted Camilla, "'if you would not make me quite—' She stopped suddenly, not to utter the word unhappy, of which she felt the improper strength at the moment it was quivering on her lips, and, leaving her sentence unfinished, abruptly walked away. Edgar could not presume to follow, yet felt her conquest irresistible. Her self-denial with regard to Mrs. Albury won his highest approbation, her compliance with his wishes convinced him of her esteem, and her distress, so new and so unaccountable, centred every wish of his heart in a desire to solace and to revive her. To obtain this privilege, hastened at once, and determined his measures, he excused himself therefore from walking, and went instantly to his chamber. To reclaim by a hasty letter to Dr. Marchmont his procrastinating promise. End of chapter one.